following podcast contains language and scenes that may be upsetting to some listeners. Listening discretion is advised. Miss Holmes, a novella by John Noonan. Hello and welcome to chapter 4 of Miss Holmes, a weekly podcast which stopped being weekly last week when I had no time to actually put up an episode. I hope you all understand, tis the season as they say, and I promise you we'll get back into order once the holidays are over. Anyway, to recap, John Watson is in a taxi on the way to meet SH's brother, a man he knew nothing about until this very moment. What will happen? When will the mystery happen? I hear you cry. I promise you, soon. The mystery will happen soon. Stay calm. Enjoy. Chapter 4. Meet Michael. The revelation of another home sibling was quite startling to me. For as long as I knew her, there had always been her and Ford. Nothing more, nothing less. As we travelled to Withenshaw, my hangover more than subsided, I threw as many questions as I could at SH and hoped that some would stick warranting a response. Managing to ignore me for as long as she could, she finally opened up. Soon after Ford's death, a letter in the mail arrived from a man claiming to be her brother. A one-night dalliance between her mother and his father had apparently resulted in a half-sibling, Michael, with no other family to her name, her mother having long uprooted and left for London. SH had found someone who could fill the hole that had been torn unceremoniously out of her heart. Over that year, when I thought that SH had been consumed by alcoholism and mourning, she had been taking the train to Manchester to meet with this new sibling, in hopes of establishing some kind of relationship. That's wonderful, I replied. Why would you not tell me that? There's things, she said dismissively. Things that crawled out the woodwork that I had to deal with. It, it, it's, it's part of the reason you left, I finished off. SH turned to look out of the window, and, like that, the remainder of our journey was taken in silence. We arrived at the estate, and SH led me towards the house I proposed was where Michael lived. A throbbing baseline had greeted us when the cab turned into the estate, and now, walking the brief distance to the house, it was clear the noise was emanating from a Ford Mondeo parked across the road with its windows rolled down, Aphex Twin bursting from its radio. The car's driver rocked his head back and forth, giving the impression of a cobra entranced by a snake charmer. As he watched us make our way to the house, I was caught off guard by the intensity of his stare. It was as if I had slept with his grandma and never called her back, such was the anger that screwed up his face. As his dark eyes pierced me, SH, appearing to have noticed the man as well, grabbed my hand and pulled me quickly towards the house. She knocked on the door and let herself in without waiting for a response, leading me into a tastefully decorated living room. A three-piece suite played audience to an oversized TV, and there were shelves bursting with books. In the centre of the room was a glass coffee table, with a box display quite prominently in the middle. On the couch lay a man of large stature, reading a battered copy of Cujo. You know he's outside, SH said by way of a greeting, and nodding her head in the general direction of the noisy Mondeo outside. Hmm? The man responded, not taking his eyes off his book. You've been here long? Hmm? The man responded, still not taking his eyes off his book. SH took a quick look at me and sighed. She lit a cigarette, then kicked the couch where the large man lay. You've got guests, she spat. Continuing to read, the man shifted his bulky frame until he was making a pretense of sitting up. Hello, John, he said, turning a page, his voice dripping with forced received pronunciation. You really shouldn't drink so much bourbon. It plays merry hell with your sleep. Did you tell him I was coming? I asked SH. Oh, Miss Holmes told me nothing, the man said, finally putting the book down. No, no, the clues are all there. SH told me she was going to be seeing some friends last night. It doesn't take a genius to see that she'd go and meet up with her nearest and dearest. Outside of me, obviously. Namely, the one man who put up with her for the most of her life. 
John Watson. The fact I hadn't heard from her this morning led me to realise that she probably stayed over somewhere. And you, smelling like a bottle of Jack Daniels, told me the cause of the dark lids under your eyes. But you didn't even look at me, I queried. I'm looking at you now, aren't I? What? Oh, God, can we move on? S.H. sighed, clicking her fingers. He's dicking you around, John, and taking pot shots at me. Who is? I asked, getting tired of all the theatrics. Who is this? I'm Michael, dear boy, the man said. Taking a moment, I looked Michael up and down. He was only in his thirties, but his hairline had long since seen better days. There was a possibility that Michael was once a formidable boxing opponent, but the muscle had turned to fat. Despite my brain's assurance that I could easily outrun him should I need to, there was something in his eyes, behind his smile, that said he would catch up with me eventually. What was with all these men staring daggers at me today? You could tell SH and Michael were related. His face would be extremely similar to SH's if she also happened to be fat and white, SH said, finishing off my thought. Well done, John. You've tricked his white. She threw her attention back to Michael. Why do they always go there first? She asked. Did you tell him I was a half-sibling? Michael responded. Yeah, but evidently he assumed our mother only liked black men. It's kind of racist when you think about it. It's fetishizing as white is. White women only sleeping with black people. Okay, I barked. Enough of this, Chuckle Brothers. Michael went on to explain how SH's mother had left him when he was 10, moving on to start a new life as she would do with Ford and SH. Raised by his father, Michael dropped out of school before his GCSEs, theorising that he was quite capable of learning things for himself. Moving to London when he was 18, he fell in with the rum sorts, and found that he was actually rather proficient in dodgy dealings. I read about Ford's death in the paper. SH was in a family photo they had used for the article. There was my mother with two people who would be my half-siblings. One I would never know, and one I would have the chance of knowing. When I met SH, she was distraught. She needed distraction. Our minds rebel from stagnation, you know. So I offered her a position. A position? I asked, looking at an increasingly nervous-looking SH. Nothing to do with Ibiza, then? No, no, and no. A fact-finding mission, if you will. Michael's eyes sparkled the same way SH's did from time to time. I myself have too many eyes on me. If I was going to make my way oop north, then I was going to need a local. Someone who could do various tasks. Cross the T's, dot the I's, that sort of thing. So you're a criminal? I asked SH. Johnny, please, criminal is such a strong word, Michael protested. I never ask SH to do anything I couldn't get other people to do. No, SH is special. You must have noticed that. We both are. I'm sure Ford was the same. We see things others don't. SH has never picked up a parking ticket under my watch, let alone a gun. She just goes out of her way to look for things that others struggle with. Solving crimes for criminals, if you will. Now, see, you've made me use that word. Why don't you do them if you're so similar? I asked suspiciously. As I've said, dear boy, I have too many eyes on me. Lots of people who would want to split open my head and scoop out all the things I know. Like the bloke outside. Like the very same, a mildly impotent little cove who has been trying to snare me in his web for some time. I found that I was becoming lost for words. The enormity of what was going on had become hard to digest. SH had left me to help a long-lost brother solve crimes for criminals. John. John, SH said gently, tapping me on the shoulder. You said you wanted in. This is in. Now can I trust you, or do you need to leave? I paused for what seemed like an eternity. I'm in. To this day, I can't tell you why I said what I said. Perhaps my own brain was stagnating. Perhaps it was the pain of my mother's loss still being so fresh. Perhaps it was just making sure my friend was safe so I'd never had to lose her again. Michael clapped and smiled. Good show, he laughed. Now, dearest sister, this one is a doozy. Is that accent real? I asked, feeling brave. That was clearly not the question to ask. Michael's face darkened and I felt my testicles retreat into me. After a short moment of uncomfortable tension, 
Michael leant forward to the coffee table and took the lid off the box. Still frowning, he gestured for us both to have a look inside. Doing so immediately made the bile rise in my throat. The box was brimming with salt, some of it tinged pink, and on top of the pile were two very distinct fleshy items that someone was clearly going to miss. Jesus, I whispered. They're fucking ears. SH's past revealed and a box full of ears. What's going to happen next? You can only find out in the next chapter of Miss Holmes. The song you heard at the beginning and end of this podcast is Manchester, South Dakota by Happiness in Airplanes. If you liked what you heard today and want to skip ahead in the tale, you can do by buying a copy of the ebook, Miss Holmes, from Amazon, Smashwords, or iTunes. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at missholmesmcr at gmail.com. Tell me what you think of the podcast, what your favorite Sherlock Holmes pastiche is, and maybe just share some recipes. They're always nice. You can also follow me on Twitter at missholmesmcr. Thanks for listening. I hope we can do this again sometime. And remember, you're all beautiful.